Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of On The Edge with Andrew Gold. This is part of a move towards a new direction. Not like One Direction or anything like that, but... Well, okay, so as you guys know, I'm sort of straddling the whole time uh, with what works on YouTube and what works on the audio podcast, of course, and I don't know. On YouTube, I have decided that I'm going to split. I'm going to make a new channel. The new channel is going to be called Heretics. Um, the old channel is just going to have a lot of the Scientology and the culty stuff and the royals and things that are a bit more pop culture. The heretic side is going to have people who are on the wrong side of groupthink and cancel culture and also some people who have left cults or difficult upbringings and we're going to learn what they used to get out of the groups they were born into or had grown into or anything like that and I think it could be really quite interesting. It's going to be a little bit more esoteric and intellectual maybe than some of the stuff that's been there before. I know a lot of you guys have been calling for that as well. So I think the podcast for now is going to remain as On The Edge with Andrew Gold, the audio podcast that you're listening to now. And then there's going to be two channels. One is just going to be called Andrew Gold, and I need to think of a name for that, the original one. And the other one is Andrew Gold Heretics. And this is a big part of that. It's not always going to be about cancel culture. I want to get big names, titans of industry, and all different kinds of people on. Uh, but this was one of six interviews I did. Well, actually seven, including Remy Adekoya, which you may have heard recently about Israel and Palestine. I did at the Battle of Ideas. They're a great organization, really, really cool. And I got to interview him and Graham Linehan, who is the world's most cancelled man, and Peter Boghossian, Nina Power, who talks about um, well, men's rights, I suppose. Just interesting different things that might be a bit controversial. So I hope you guys really enjoy that and you enjoy the episodes coming up. And even if you find them offensive or difficult, I mean, Francis is uh, fascinating and funny. Um, he is just joking with a lot of the jokes and things. I think he's a top guy, um, and I hope you do as well. He's one half of the amazing podcast, Trigonometry, which is taking over the world right now. They've been extremely successful, and they are really uh, a huge influence on me and most podcasters just in how they've built what they've what they've done. I mean, it's just amazing. So go and check out that if you're into this kind of stuff. I think they are brilliant. It's Constantin Kissin and Francis Foster, today's guest, and they are really, really top-notch. So give them some love over there. Tell them that you found 
them through this podcast. Uh, we talk about oh, cancel culture and comedy, why women get it more than men. If women say th- speak out, they, they tend to be punished harsher than men do. Um, and we also talk about Jordan Peterson and, and his effect on, on men. And we talk about... Um, what do we talk about? I suppose everything from feminism to trans ideology and all sorts of things. So I hope you will enjoy that. As I said, lots of big episodes are coming out. But now you're on the edge of cancel culture with Francis Foster from Trigonometry. One thing I've been wondering about, you're a comedian, you yeah. know about the comedy stuff that's going on. Why is it that some people get away with saying things that go against sort of the orthodoxy of the day? I'm just yeah. thinking of Ricky Gervais. He's got his Netflix special yeah. all about trans stuff. And then other people, like maybe J.K. Rowling, Graham Linehan, have had it so hard from people and been cancelled in a sense. It's a really good question, Andrew. I think there's, there's a couple of factors here at Pi. Number one, the issue of sex is actually really important. If you are a woman talking about this, you are going to get far more flack than you're going to do than if you're a man. For the simple reason is that women have less of a physical presence. That's just a statement of fact. And as a result, and they're far more agreeable on the whole. And as a result of that, they're going to get they're going to be far more likely to be bullied and receive flack from people online particularly men and particularly men as well who are misogynistic and being if a woman is gender critical that gives certain people certain men let's be honest about it far more free reign to be misogynistic against these against women than others and also as well look the thing is with ricky is that ricky is a multi multi millionaire he makes netflix a huge amount of money an an insane amount of money Mm. so as uh, my left-wing girlfriend always says, capitalism always wins. And she's right. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. If you make a company insane amounts of money, clicks, a little bit of notoriety, which, let's be fair, is a little bit of spice added to it and means that people are talking about it as well and sharing the clips, then that, in many ways, is no bad thing for the company. And Ricky is, you know, he's a co- he's a comedic juggernaut. So... Ricky is always going to be fine. Dave Chappelle is always going to be fine. Bill Burr, etc. They're always going to be fine. They've got to the point now where they're so powerful. They've got so many followers. They've got a legion of fans that it doesn't really matter. And the revenue they generate for these companies will always mean that the companies will ultimately back them. The problem comes not with the Dave Chappelle's or Ricky Gervais's or people of that ilk, the problem comes with the people further down, the people who are making their way in the clubs, the people who don't have a fan base, the people who don't have a large and loyal following. This is where it's really difficult. So if you're a comedian and you're starting out in the comedy clubs in the UK, you could find yourself very easily cancelled. You could find yourself very easily blacklisted. And you could find yourself, your your career evaporates or is destroyed as a result of this. Those are the people that we actually should be talking about. And the problem is, is because they're not widely known, all these cancellations or blacklists happen in secret, people don't really talk about it because 
you know, it doesn't generate clicks. It doesn't generate outrage because these people are not very well known. Yeah, we don't know who they are. Presumably, you know people personally. Yeah, yeah, I know people personally. I know, I, I know many comedians who message me and say, "Look, I, I've been." Banned from this from this club or these series of clubs because I did this joke which has been interpreted as being racist, sexist, whatever else. And then a, a lot of the time you listen to these jokes and they're not that. They just happen to be on topics that people within the audience and normally it's just one person in the audience deems to be unacceptable. And then they put pressure on the promoter and the promoter is a business person and they're thinking to themselves, well, you know... Uh, you know, it's it's difficult cost of living crisis, for example, at the moment. It gets harder and harder to entice people out of their homes, you know, get them away from Netflix, get them out spending money when there's not a lot of money to go about. You know, the easiest thing to do is just to appease our audience member, throw the comedian under the metaphorical bus when the reality is as well, there is a lot of comedians out there. There are a lot of comedians out there. I'm going to go with the audience member. And and the other challenge is this as well. It's and and look, I have a great deal of sympathy for comedy promoters like I said. It's it's really tough time to get people to come out to watch comedians who they don't know, particularly in the age of celebrity. So they were looking at it and they'll go, "Why would I pick someone who is very good comedically but could split a room, could alienate, could antagonize, which some of the best comedians can do and will do when I could pick someone to do my night who is for example like Sean Walsh who I don't know if you know Sean but Sean is a brilliant observational comic mm. and can do five minutes which are hilarious about what it's like to eat a jam sandwich why wouldn't I do that yeah and everybody's going to watch it they're going to laugh because he's brilliant and they're all going to go home and no one's going to get offended well, actually, we've got probably got the point now where someone's going to get offended by a jam sandwich. <laughs> but do you, so yeah. that's where we are, unfortunately, within the industry. I think um, some people watching, what I want to get across to them is, is how sad that really is. Because I think sometimes we hear that person was cancelled or whatever, and we don't care because we don't really know them. And mm -hmm. we just think, oh, they're just doing another job. But presumably, I mean, to be a comedian... That's you're, you're probably giving up on all different kinds of jobs and careers that maybe yeah. your friends are doing. You get to 30, 35, 40 when everyone else is maybe earning some money and you're still going at it. Yeah. It's all you have. So being cancelled like that, that must be devastating. It's, it's absolutely devastating because as a comedian, you've got, you need to grind away on the open mic circuit. Now, for those of you, most people who are listening to this have no idea what it is. These are terrible gigs in basements of pubs where there's no audience and you have to do that for years and years and years before you can start to make your way, before you can start to break through so you can hone your act, so you know what it, who you are on stage. You know the types of jokes that you should be telling. You know how to structure a joke. You know how to deliver a joke. And then finally you start to make your way and you finally start to break through and you finally start to make some money. Not real money, just some money. And then that, and then that is taken away from you. It's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for the people involved, and it's terrible for the art form as a whole. Because what you're doing is you're narrowing the Overton window. Every time that this happens, that there's a cancellation or that there's an outrage, or you know people lose their livelihoods, there's a narrowing of the Overton window for everybody else. Because as we all know, the most powerful form of censorship is self-censorship. I mean, my girlfriend, who is a left-wing woman of colour, blah, blah, blah. And the reason I'm saying that is, is to illustrate this point. 
which is she went to watch a comedy show and she came home and uh, she's American and uh, so she's grew up, brought, been brought up in the American tradition of stand-up. And I said, how was it, my darling? And she went, oh, can I be honest with you? I went, yeah, of course. She went, it was, bo it was boring. Mm. And I went, well, what do you mean? And she went, well, nobody was saying anything interesting. Nobody was, everything was so bland. There was nothing even mildly provocative or anything that you could sink your teeth into. And I'm like, and she was, and she was just like, it was really boring. I'm like, that isn't the fault of the comedians. That is the fault of the system. Because if the system punishes people for wrong think, mm -hmm. if the system punishes people for people who are daring to joke about topics that might be deemed to be edgy, then why would they go out and do more provocative material? Why would they challenge the norms? Why would they put themselves out on a limb when the reality is, is that you can lose your career overnight or you can get cancelled from a series of clubs and then, and then you're no longer able to make a living, and yeah. you're no longer able to make ends meet. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. And then what what next? I don't know what you do next. It's really really hard. You mentioned, uh, of course, and I think it is relevant. Left wing girlfriend, uh, yeah. person of color. Yeah. I think that's important because I think my YouTube demographics are probably fairly split, and there's definitely a bit of groupthink on both sides, mm -hmm. going, "Oh, the other side must be the enemy" or whatever. And also, I mean, you're you're a well-rounded person. You're not mm. a figure who's just on your YouTube screen. You're an actual real human being. And also, you approach, when I asked you that trans question about Ricky Gervais, you approached it from a very leftist place. Yeah. Um, the corporations you had to go at, that's a very left-wing thing to do. Yeah. It's a corporation's capitalism and misogyny is yeah. another aspect. So you're a well-rounded person, right? Why, you're not, I, mean, I guess what I'm getting at is that you're not a cartoon, are you? No, no. I mean, I mean, the YouTube comments. I'm sure would disagree <laughs> with you, but no. And but I feel that this is very, very important because the problem with our society, as people have explained ad nauseum, is that we've become tribe more, even more tribalistic than we normally have been. Where you get left wing talking points and you get right wing talking points. And I always remember we had uh, journalist Ed West on our show and he made a very oh, yeah. profound point about the importance of freedom of speech. And he said freedom of speech is so important because unless you're willing to talk about every facet of the problem, you are never going to solve that problem. And we can, you can talk about an issue in a left-wing way or a right-wing way. And do you know what? Both sides probably, in fact, a lot of the time, have good points. But if you're just in one tribe, then you're only going to see the problem from a certain point of view, which means you're never going to be honest about the problem, hence you're never going to solve it. And when we talk about things such as inequality, the way the left talks about it and the way the right talks about it, they've both, they're both correct. But unless you are willing to go, right, I'm going to look at this side, I'm going to look at this side, and then I make up my own mind, that's the only way we're actually going to solve problems, not by being tribalistic. It's why I reject now. I've started to. I've, I reject when people say to me, "Are you left or you right? Are you conservative or whatever else?" Because all you're doing when you identify with a tribe is you're downloading their way of looking at the world. Their let's call it an operating system.
Now, the operating system might have some strengths to it, but it also has some weaknesses. And what you're doing when you're downloading the operating system is you're giving up your autonomy. You're saying that I'm no longer an individual. I'm just going to be a non-thinking member of this tribe. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a non-thinking member of the right. Mm. And I don't want to be a non-thinking member of the, of the left. I want to be someone who makes her own mind up about any particular issue, whatever it is. I remember when... Andrew Tate rose to infamy, infamy or prominence, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I remember people going to me, well, what do you think about it? And I said, I don't know. I'm going to go away and I'm going to watch and I'm going to listen to his interviews and I'm going to make my own mind up. But he's this, he's that. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, your opinion is your opinion. You're entitled to it. I don't care about it. I'm going to make my own mind up. And then I went and I made my, and he's a legend. No, I'm joking. <laughs> he's not. I really dislike him and I dislike his message and I think it's incredibly toxic. But I made my own mind up about it. Yeah. And that's what I do with every subject. It's why with the whole Israel-Palestine, everybody's wading in with their opinions. I am someone who has got uh, South American heritage, mother's Venezuelan. Mm -hmm. But my grandfather, my maternal grandfather is from Lebanon. So he's Coptic Christian and he's from Tripoli and he was from Tripoli in Lebanon and that's where my family was from. Their, their name was Vasli Saud. So I know a little bit about the history and I know a little bit about the feelings and the resentments on both sides, on both sides and how deep they, they go. And I haven't offered an opinion about it because I don't know enough about it. I know a little bit. But I don't know enough to offer an opinion. I don't know enough to actually make a, a, a public stance on it because these things take time. You need to read about the history. You need to understand about it. You need to understand the culture. You need to understand about the religions, how the religions have, have uh, seen this place. How, you need to understand about the military conflict. It's only when you've read all through that and you understand it and you come to a position that's when you can start talking about it publicly. I think we, it's interesting that, you know, when you said that about Andrew Tate, when, if you hadn't clarified you were joking, yeah. my mind's already going, okay, 10% of the audience have just now switched off. Yeah. And isn't that crazy? Rather than But thinking, you've got a new 20% of an audience. <laughs> yeah, I don't want those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no offence to those guys. But yeah. I don't know, because some of them are listening. I don't want to offend them either. Yeah. That's all going through your head, isn't yeah. it? Audience capture. And these, it's ridiculous, but it's mad that people couldn't listen and go, isn't isn't that interesting? Francis likes this guy who I think is abhorrent. Yeah. But I disagree with him on that. Let's keep listening. Instead, it would be off. I had this, I was on a podcast, Paula Poundstone, an American yeah. comedian podcast the other day, and she wanted to ask me about cults because I'd done loads of stuff about cults. And she was saying, could Trump and Trump fans be a cult? And I said, well, absolutely. There's definitely a cultish elements of the Trump mm -hmm. stuff, yeah. um, just as there is on the other side. And I felt the, the room change. And I felt it's not even, it wasn't Paula's uh, fault at all. It was just She's have to, she has to think about her audience, and yeah. I could tell I'm going to lose that audience now by saying this. But it, it's it's like mad if I don't. Why? But I know I'm not going to get as many people clicking over now. Yeah. But I have to say these things. Um, do you think again cultish? I suppose the slogans are a big part of all of this. Do you think yeah. uh, slogans require you not to have to think? So the UN, I think, when the Israel Palestine stuff was going on, the UN just came out with um, trans lesbians are lesbians. That yeah. was their that was their view on Israel Palestine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was that. What was it? Is it Ryan? Someone? Do you know who I mean? The comedian American. Oh, Ryan. Ryan Cole. No, not Ryan Cole. Um, Ryan Long. 
Ryan Long, he yes. did that. He did a whole thing like, which side am I? Israel or Palestine? I want to. I want to put out a social media thing. Are people going to like me if I say yeah. this? Yeah. What about that? And then he said, let's see what the UN are saying. Trans lesbians are lesbians. Yeah. Again, it's just slogans though of yeah. free Palestine. Again, but what does it mean? We have to explore what that really means. Yeah. yeah. Do you get fed up with slogans? I, I do get fed up with slogans because it's a way of abdicating responsibility, which is a responsibility that you have to find out about a particular issue or subject. Now. There are people who are too busy. They've got they've got families. They've got work. They've got fine, absolutely fine. But then your position should be I don't know, mm. and that is actually the position of integrity, which goes I don't know enough about this subject to offer an opinion on it. But it it's got to the point now, and I'm trying to write a routine about this where that's not good enough anymore because then you're not on the right side of history. So he's come to the point where you've had to be an expert on Brexit and Trump and then the pandemic. We had to be an epidemiologist, a virologist, an immunologist. And now you've got to be an expert in Eastern European Rus Russian <laughs> ge geopolitics. And now you've got to be an expert on the Middle East. Yeah. And actually, in order to become an expert, it takes a long time. And I always use this, use this example. So let's say you woke up one day, you had a mole on your arm, and you're going, actually, that's a bit dodgy. I don't... Mm. And you had a mate who's a doctor, right? Yeah. And you went to see him, and you go, whatever his name is, Dave. Yeah. You go, Dave, would you mind taking a look at this mole of mine? What would Dave actually say? He would look at it, and he'd go, do you know what? I'm not a dermatologist. I'm actually a cardiologist. I don't think it looks good, but I'm not sure. But I've got a mate who's a brilliant dermatologist. So I'll give you his number, call him up, and then you can go and see him next week. And that's a doctor who's had six, seven years training, but yet he knows that he doesn't have the expertise to be able to offer an opinion on something like that because he knows he's not an expert in that particular field. Now, if doctors do it, why can't we do it? Dunning-Kruger, I, I yeah. imagine. The Dunning-Kruger. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. 
To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. But uh, yeah, you're right. And the hardest person I've ever interviewed is Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Because he says, I don't know all the time. Yeah. So I had to come up with double the normal questions. I did that with my producer, Michal, here. And he remembers how stressed I was. Yeah. Uh, very stressful time. Turn up and I've got all my questions. And I'm like, okay, what if I forget something? Yeah. And we were done in like 20 minutes because he said, I, I don't know. I couldn't say. I, I couldn't tell you about that. And I was like, ah. Right, and which is the smart thing to do. Of course. And he's one of the smartest, you know, he's obviously smart, Richard Dawkins. Yeah. But it wasn't great for interviewing, but I respected that integrity that he wasn't going to opine on stuff that he doesn't know about. Yeah, and that is somebody who is very intelligent and is an expert in their field, which is evolutionary biology. Yeah. And to me, that is a sign of a human being that has a high level of integrity, that they're not willing to offer a soundbite or shoot from the hip on something that they don't know about. Yeah. that they don't know about. And this is why I am highly suspicious of the commentariat class, you know, in, by that it's a fancy way of saying, you know, journalists, you know, spouting off. Oh, I see these journalists who are on on these shows, you know, whatever channel it may be, they're, they're all... And they one week they talk about Israel-Palestine, then they're on to talking about, you know, the evils of, of lockdown and the effect it's had on the NHS. Then they're on to talk about the education system. And I go... Either you're some next-level genius, mate, or you're pulling this out of your ass. Yeah. But you guys on trigonometry presumably go from topic to topic. Uh, we do it as interviewers. Yeah. But we don't pretend... The original slow slogan of the show is we don't pretend to be experts, we ask the experts. That was the original slogan of the show, number one, because back then we were interviewing mainly economists and people like that and political, uh, and political analysts about what was going on with Brexit why Brexit happened. And then we started to branch out. We talked to people who weren't actually experts. Mm. And so we had to change the the opening slogan of the show. So that was number one. Uh, but number two, when we talk about uh, things on our Raw show, we're doing it from a comedic point of view. We're doing it for, as a comedian. And we're saying, we, we don't know what we're talking about. We're two idiots comedians being profane and irreverent about serious topics. And we're doing it from the point of satire. I'd also say that you guys, and this is something about Joe Rogan as well, people often say, like, who's this idiot or whatever? Mm. And I do appreciate degrees, university education. These, these yeah. are obviously very important things. But Rogan has, up close and personal, done three hours, yeah. three times a week for, what, 10, 15 years? Yeah. With some of the experts, preeminent experts, well, better than you'll get at any university. Yeah. It's not the same as getting uh, yeah. the exams and things like that, but it's not nothing either. It's And you guys as well, you've interviewed some of the biggest experts. You listen to what they say, and that, yeah. that, that advises you. Yeah, and that advises you, and then you go, well... 
But it's very different from going, this is what I think, to this is an expert opinion. Mm. Yeah. And a, a lot of people present it as, you know, this is the truth. This is what is actually happening. And if you disagree with me, then you are going against the truth. Mm. When the reality is, that's not actually how it works. There is no the science. There is science and there is... And there are different hypotheses, and people hypothesize something, and that, and what is accepted at one point then later turns out to be incorrect. So I'm just very, very suspicious of people who have a set range of fixed opinions on a multitude of different topics. When the reality is, it takes a long time to become an expert in a particular topic. Mm, speaking of that fixed truth, I did a poll on my YouTube channel. Mm. Do you think trans women are literally women? Yes. I put literally in capital letters, and ninety percent said no. Yeah. Ten percent said yes. Yeah. And a lot of them then commented about the true truth, and it was like there were actually six sexes, X, X, Y, and that was that was just extraordinary. But do you think that ten percent really think that there is literally no difference then between trans women and and women, or are they sort of angry that I asked the question and, and pushing back against me? Look, no one knows what a woman is until you want to have sex with one. <laughs> That's when the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Look, <laughs> I just... The reality is, when it comes to this debate, it's moronic. Can we just say it's moronic? Can we just be honest about this and go, look, there are people who have gender dysphoria. It's very sad. They need treatment. They need help. You know, if transitioning helps this person to pass as a member of the opposite sex and that means they're happier, they should be allowed to do that as adults, not as kids, fine. But that doesn't mean that you're a member of the opposite sex. You're just not. And we can dance around this topic and we can go, oh, what is a woman? Look, we all know what a woman is. Can we please stop? Yeah. You know, and it, 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 to me, it says something far deeper, actually, about our society. It's a symptom of where we've got to where we feel unable to be truthful, where we feel unable to actually disagree, where we are always looking to avoid discomfort. And discomfort is important. Mm. Discomfort is going and saying to somebody, I think you're wrong. No, that's not true. And you need to be able to do that. Otherwise, you cannot function as a human being in society. And this is where we are. Well, we can't say to somebody, you are a biological male. You are not a woman. And somehow that is seen as, as oppressive, evil, wrong. No, it's, it's truth. And we need to be able to, to start telling the truth. And if we want to improve as a society, we all need to actually start accepting truth. And there are certain things that are true. Yeah, I, I think a good mark of how far we've gone in trying not to uh, offend and trying being wary of offences. Something you said years ago, actually, in a video, I was, I was doing doing some research because I'm a mm -hmm. good journalist, and you said we'll get to a point where you can't even make fun of, and I can't use the word on YouTube because of the censors, but PDF, yeah. PDF files is what yeah. I call them, who, play, who hang around playgrounds. Imagine a PDF yeah. file yeah. in a playground. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I was doing something on, on those people. Yeah. I was doing a... a They're a, minor a, attracted people, Andrew, yeah. you bigot. Oh, no. Well, this <laughs> is it. But I did meet a woman yeah. who is uh, trying to help them. Yeah. So I met a woman in Germany who does like a weekly thing. And she helps these people. And I do understand if they've not offended or anything like that. Yeah. But 
to prove what a good person she is, she lets her kids be babysat by this male of those people. How mad is that? That's insane. I went and met the babysitter, the guy. I met him uh, at like a swimming pool because oh. he wanted to meet. And I said, where? And he showed me the So I went down. And it was, I didn't realize it was a public swimming pool. Why did, why did he want to meet at a swimming pool? Was okay, so I okay, so it was before I'd met the woman, I, I met him because I was talking to Don't Offend, which is a German clinic for these people, right? Uh, and I said, Can you introduce me to any of your patients? And they said yes. And so I got in touch with this guy who calls himself Max. Hmm. And so Max messaged me, he goes, I'm in Berlin today. I used to live in Berlin. He goes, I'm in, in Berlin today. I'm going to be here just today. Come to this address if you do want to meet me. So I type, you know, type it in on Google. Okay, it seems to be down there. I cycle down to the place. It's a fucking pool. So I go, He's there. And I was like, you're right, mate. And he was like, oh, yeah, oh God, I am okay. <laughs> and uh, suddenly, like, little girls next to him. And I was like, oh, hello. And she's going, oh, you know, can I have some more money for ice cream? And he's like, yeah, yeah, here you go. And she goes off. And I said, uh, Max, what's, what's this with the girl? And two other girls came over. They'd been in the pool. He's like, oh, yeah, here's some money. And he's taking them to the pool. So I said, come on, what's going on in? He says, I'm babysitting. I said, you're not babies. That's mad. What are you talking about your babysitting? So he goes, yep, yep, babysitting. The woman knows. I've met her. She does this course where she like helps us, blah, blah, blah. And I thought he was lying. So I pushed and pushed. I said, can I meet her? I've got to meet her because I don't believe this. And and I did meet her. And she was saying, you've got to realize he doesn't offend and I trust him. I'm like, yeah, but you don't send your kids to a pool with him. Mad. So that is how far it goes. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that, you might as well go, look, I'm going to put my baby in with a tiger. Yeah. And look, the tiger's very well trained. <laughs> he's very well trained and we've trained him and he won't attack the baby. And he's been fed. And it's like, yeah, but it's still a fucking tiger. Yeah. That is yeah. literal insanity. It is insane. And that is where we've come to, where it's more important to appear virtuous than to actually do the right thing. Yeah. Yep. And when a society has reached that point and when people have reached that point where they're more interested in how they're perceived than in, in doing what is morally correct, then we're at a very, very worrying place. I suppose that's the extent to which virtue has a hold on us, even biologically, the way we grew up, that you virtue well, in the tribe. I wouldn't even say it's virtue. I think it's narcissism. Well, yeah. I think it's narcissism. Where, perceived virtue. Yeah, where your public image is more important than the safety of children. Or, or also your self-perception, because she's yeah. not doing it for public image, this woman, because people don't know she's doing it. I think it's for her to feel good about herself. Yeah, so it's narcissistic. Yeah. It's, it's utterly narcissistic, and I'm sure she's told people about it. Mm, quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. She's told, I'm guaranteed she's told people about it, who are all yeah, going, there. They, this is a great idea. She was very far left. She was very left. Of course when, she was. And that can happen when on the extremes of either side. Yeah. The, the thing that happened in Germany, Germany's history with the left and PDF files is insane. Because in the 80s, the Green Party yeah. were a big part of this whole thing called the Kentler experiment, mm. where they realized in Berlin they had too many homeless boys yeah. and they had too many PDF files and they didn't know what to do. So they put them together and they put the PDF files like they put the, the kids as foster kids to go and yeah. live with these guys. Yeah. And obviously they were, like you say, with the tiger or lion, that, yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Those kids were abused to within an inch of their lives. Of course they will be. Yeah. And it was a, it's a stain on the Green Party now. But it was the far left, of course. It's not. I don't mean to taint the medium left, normal left-wing people yeah. with this, but that's what happens. Well, it's a, it's a fundamental denial of reality. And that is a problem with the far left and the far right, that their ideologues, that they're extremists, 
and that they don't live in reality mm. because they have their own their, their way of viewing the world which is completely distorted mm. far left and far right and this is what happens where you're so demented in the way that you see the world that you somehow think that it's acceptable and morally right and virtuous to put in a sex offender with a child well, this is the danger and it was a lot of the Parisian philosophers were pushing that kind of thing as well got stuff. well they're French they're all into that kind of thing <laughs> aren't they yeah well no this is the, this is the thing and I think that's why it, it, it winds me up when a lot of people in answer to my question about yeah. the trans question said oh well why does it matter just be is that well this is why it matters the truth matters this is why truth matters because it gets taken really far um, we talked about um, that the certain minorities sort of put, put higher up than others and these kinds of things mm -hmm. but but men are not often and there's yeah. a problem there and you spoke about that on Joe Rogan do you think there is an issue that men are facing at the moment oh yeah I think there is a, there's a massive issue that men are facing we call it toxic masculinity well things are toxically masculine you we never talk about toxic femininity if there's toxic masculinity then there needs to be toxic femininity what does that look like well we don't talk about that because women are brilliant and there's nothing wrong with them and it just men are scum have i just walked in, in an argument with your girlfriend yeah <laughs> yeah it's true and i just i just remember you know work you know when i was working in the comedy industry you know hearing people say you hashtag all men are trash and i'm like well are they what every single man you know and you know they'd say oh my ex-boyfriend maybe you just like dating dickheads love mm. Maybe that, maybe you're the dickhead. So yeah, you know. yeah, you could be the dickhead, or maybe you just pick wrongans. And actually, shouldn't you take some responsibility for that? Mm. Or aren't you also part of this process? Are you the type of woman who goes, "Yeah, I like him, but he's too nice"? Well, then stop complaining. Number one, and number two, you know, we, we do, if you think about you know male traits, you know, leadership, you know desire to take charge you know the desire to protect to provide we, we demonize men for that now we want men and women more than ever to be exactly the same and then we've got this saying and we've got we now believe that there is no difference between the sexes as somebody who lives with a woman and as you've lived there's a very big difference yeah there is a very, very, very big difference. Well, I suppose they would say we don't know how much of that is societal. I mean, just look at the menstrual cycle. Mm. You know, we have, as blokes, we've all been with women and seen them at a certain point in the menstrual cycle, and we thought, you know what, mate, maybe I can be gay. <laughs> I could try it. I could try it. That'd be easier. <gasps> That's why they're called gay because they're happy. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get proxy menstrual cycle when it yeah. gets close to my girlfriend's cycle I start to feel and and she thinks it's me stealing her thing but I think it's me anticipating what the next week is going to be like yeah we all know and we've all we, we all know the week as no. a bloke and you're like right okay I remember once my girlfriend came in and my girlfriend is very I'm very intelligent rational blah 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 and she came in after going for a walk and she was in floods of tears and I thought oh crap bloody hell right what's going on here and I went what's up she went I saw an old cat I'm like okay she went and it looked like our cat and I'm like okay but it was old <laughs> and I'm like okay and it went and then she went and it just made me realise that our cat is going to die and then she was in floods of tears oh no and then you just go like if it's a bloke doing that you go right okay he needs help but that is <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That is just part of the cycle. 
yeah. And, yeah. and we all know it. And we all know that there's, you know, when it reaches a certain point, there's going to be a, there's going to be hyper emotional. They're going to be very, very sensitive, because that's what it means to be a woman. Mm. It's just like the female menopause. We all know that there's biological changes. We all know that there's also there's going to be changes hormonally. Same with pregnancy. And we've come to this point where we're like, no, there's no difference, really. Mm. Really, there is no difference. And that has very serious implications when we talk about things like female fertility. Where we've come to this point now, we're in denial, where we're saying women can have it all. Yeah, but we all know that past a certain age, women's fertility drops considerably. And then what you have is women who are about in their late 30s and, and rapidly approaching 40, waking up and going, I want a kid. Have I left it too late? And that is a tragedy. That is a very real tragedy because then you have women who have always wanted a family and children realising that they're never going to have that and the sense of emptiness and horror and sadness that that creates. It's huge. Mm. It's a huge cause of population collapse. Yeah, and it's a huge cause of population collapse and then that how that affects society moving forward and then we need ever-increasing levels of immigration in order to fit, in order for people to come over and to work and to contribute to the economy, and then what that does to social cohesion. But it all comes back to this lie that there is no difference between men and women. There is a difference between men and women. There are only two sexes, and I'm very sorry that your video is now demonetized. <laughs> I don't know if the algorithm will pick up. It's usually words, isn't it? But it, it will lose me all my subscribers. So yeah. That's the thing. But what, what I would say is um, the feminine toxic... What is it? Mas what do you call it? Toxic masculinity. Toxic femininity yeah. does seem to be a thing. If we go with like this... I'm obsessed with this idea of the status game. You know, Will Storr? Yeah, Will we've Storr? interviewed Will. He's incredible. He's great. And so yeah. you've got... Uh, what is it? Virtue is one of them. Uh, the three ways. Success is another one. Yeah, and yeah. Dominance is another. Yeah. If you look at dominance as a traditionally male type yeah. of trying to get success and status and if that um when that when that goes too much i suppose you can call it toxic masculinity yeah. i suppose women can engage in that as well of course but less likely to and then the virtue signaling to to you know screw over people that's yeah. supposed to be something that women do more often yeah. men do it as well because women didn't have the same physical the physicality to yeah. to sort of be dominant in that sense yeah it's which is why they engage in reputation destruction mm. and that's how they you know that they achieve status and also revenge on a uh, on a man or you know whatever you want to call it absolutely and again it's this dishonesty where if men are absolutely terrible and women are angels and perfect that's not real life mm. that's not how things work one of my favorite books is Helen Lewis, Difficult yeah. Women. Yeah. And it, it was it's a very feminist book. It's fantastic. And it talks about these women, you know, the suffragettes and all different kinds of women who've done amazing things in history. And the point is a lot of them were horrible or or at least troubling and difficult and problematic or whatever, because that's humans. And yeah. if you make them not humans, you're just patronizing people. Yeah. Think about one of the greatest characters in theatre. It's Lady Macbeth. And if you think about Lady Macbeth. She's pretty much the archetype of toxic femininity. She's yeah. manipulative. She engages in, you know, in reputation destruction. She is, she is, she's a real villain. But why has that character and that play stood the test of time? It's because we all know that there are certain aspects of femininity, of, 
toxic femininity that are very real, that are very true, and she represents her. Mm. Just a bit of Shakespeare on the podcast. For yeah, a bit of Shakespeare, mate, and then we'll, yeah. we'll go back to talking about trans. Yeah, we didn't leave the, the stuff. We're not going to leave the Chaucer stuff in because it's too, too yeah, long. Yeah, exactly. Was too long. And it's filthy. Chaucer is filthy. <laughs> is. Do you remember reading Chaucer and going, well, I mean, first of all, spelling is atrocious. Secondly, yeah. it's, it's just all shagging. <laughs> it's shagging. Yeah. That's what they did back then. But again, that's humankind, isn't it? We yeah. wouldn't be here otherwise. Yeah. No, yeah, we wouldn't be here. And, and that's true. And I love the way that we talk about history. It's mm. so stupid. <laughs> when we look back at people who lived 400 years ago and they're like, well, they weren't woke. Well, of course they weren't. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll look ridiculous in 400 years. We'll of look course. horrible and stupid. There's, I, you know, it's mad. Well, going back to that sort of men, okay, so men, I do, I do think I, I have empathy for that. I, I do, I, and a lot of people don't. So again, I want to get to the empathy of it, and we mm. see. So Jordan Peterson's another one that I was told by so many people this guy's an evil, horrible person. Yeah. he does tweet a lot of stuff. His tweeting thing is a bit. I nasty. mean, Jordan when he tweets, I'm like, Jordan, and I love Jordan. I'm just <laughs> Lord Jordan. Put down the phone, mate. Yeah, it's a bit extreme. It's a bit Doctor Evil, some of it. Yeah, and then you just and he writes in these weird haiku, almost. Oh you, yeah, the haikus. Yeah, yeah. you going, mate. What are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? Because he's Jordan has helped me turn my life around. He has. has. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he has absolutely. You know, where the things, you know, take responsibility, you know, clean your room, all the basic stuff that as a man you really need to hear. Life is unfair. It's not, you know, it's gritty, it's tough, it's terrible, but that's life. Get on with it. Get on with it. And you, it's not fair. And yeah, what are you going to do? Mm. It's not fair, actually, that we're sitting here in Westminster and we grew up in a liberal Western democracy and someone is being brought up in a rubbish dump in, 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 in for instance in Cambodia and they're never going to have a billionth of the chances that we have or the opportunities that isn't fair that's not right yeah I'm interested that he, ch he turned your life on was that was it the 12 steps then it's mainly listening to his pods and interviewing him. He's just the most phenomenal speaker. Yeah. He really is. Well, you know, just yeah. make, your, make your bed. Make, yeah. make your damn bloody bed. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing I like about it as well <laughs> is that everyone's got a Jordan impression. Yeah. And it ranges from being accurate <laughs> to Kermit the Frog. I, I was mine. I was Kermit. Because I think it is. I do the same for Kermit. Yeah. I'm yeah. Bill Gates. Bill Ga Here at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know, I remember How's talking. How's yours? Yeah. Uh, uh, this is mine. So okay. I remember talking to him before the pod and we were just chatting because we've interviewed him twice and he goes to me he goes you know people used to say i sounded like kermit the frog <laughs> and then i went and listened to him and i do <laughs> and i remember laughing and i was like actually you're a good bloke you can take the piss out of yourself i like that i like that and i like also that some of these intellects whether it's yeah. a, a dawkins or a peterson yeah. or someone like that they're so removed from some parts of society that he had to go and research kind yeah. of the frog yeah yeah andrew doyle's like that i remember andrew doyle didn't know who rihanna was and i'm like fuck off andrew <laughs> You don't, Andrew. Do you think he's you doing are, that for effect? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, Andrew, you are a gay man. You cannot tell me you don't know who Rihanna is. He's like, no, I don't. I just read literature. I'm like, he piss knows. off, mate. He yeah, of course he, he does. He's on He's on this tomorrow. He's coming tomorrow for this. So I'm is gonna ask, he? I ask yeah, him. Yeah, make sure to ask him. He danced, uh, he's danced to Umbrella at GGAY. <laughs> Come on, mate. Andrew was a teacher at my school. Was he? Did he teach you? Yeah, no, he he joined the year after I left. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I love Andrew. He's just, great. Just missed out on him. Yeah. He, he is he is very good. Yeah. But the, what I was going to say about Jordan Peterson was I, I've got a, a friend who who is very part of academia, so, yeah. so has a lot of left-wing views and things like that. And I did mention Jordan Peterson and she said, oh, you know, isn't, oh God, isn't he awful? And I said, watch a couple of these videos actually have a little watch and I showed the one when he's talking to Piers Morgan he starts crying yeah. talking about men and she said you know what I wasn't expecting that at all yeah. this is a guy who you might disagree with and I think that's fine but he really cares doesn't he yeah oh Jordan cares Jordan absolutely cares and he cares about men and and just to talk about about your friend it's this is a very real problem where again people have opinions on things they know they don't know anything about and instead of just and and partly it's a fault of society where you you are forced to have an opinion on literally everything. So people go, "What's your opinion on Jordan Peterson?" And instead of going, "Well, I don't know," mm. so if I you know, I don't know if you're into football, but if I said yep. to you, "Is you are?" Yeah. Okay. So, but if if I said to you, you know, Harry Kane, if you didn't know about football, and I went to you, "Is Harry Kane the best England striker?" You'd be like, "Oh mate, I don't like football." Yeah. But I know, and I know. That not only is he, but I think he actually probably has been by a long distance. Yeah. So, really? Yeah, considerable distance. Well, he's the top scorer. He got the top scorer at like 28. And he, he assists all the time as well. What a player. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but you don't have to agree, do you? That's no, the beauty. No, no, no. That's of opinion. That is true. I was just Who thinking. was better than him? What, Rooney? Rooney was rubbish by the time he was 27. Yeah, he was. But he was, he was, was good so when he was good. 15. But yeah. You know, he was so good, though. Yeah, but no, no, yeah, he but was. yeah, but he was incredible. Probably the best sixteen-year-old, seventeen-year-old footballer I've ever seen. Yeah. But no, um, but but that's the point in that you're forced to have an opinion, and because she works in this progressive left-wing liberal industry, which is academia, she then has to basically say that she doesn't like him when the. Reality is, she knows nothing about him. Mm. It's not when people go to me, oh, Joe Rogan's this. I'm like, have you met him? Have you had a conversation with him? So they're like, no. And I'm like, well, he's not. Yeah. I've met him and I really like him. Yeah. Yeah. He's been... He seems likable to me. He said loads of things that I found offensive. Yeah. But I find him offensive. Or all my friends say things I find offensive and I sort of get on with the day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there has been, there has been, he's been so helpful and supportive to us. Has he? Incredible. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do it. Why, why does he need to help me? What is he getting from it? Pretty much nothing. But he does it anyway. So and, and so the people have these opinions about, or about people or subjects, and it's because they feel that they have to have this opinion. And without actually reading about it, or engaging in any of the content surrounding it. These people do exist, though, who who maybe are, I don't know, do incite dangerous ideas in or in in young people. Perhaps yes, we mentioned course. Andrew Tate. Yeah, absolutely. I was on Tim Pool on his podcast. Flew out there to do that, and that was great. I was really excited, and I'm talking, smiling, having a great time. <clears throat> and this isn't entirely his fault, but afterwards I went and had a look on the YouTube and there's a live thing. Yeah. And I've never seen so many people saying horrible Jewish things, like anti-Semitic things. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen every single comment. And he gets 50,000 live people yeah. watching. So it was just bam, 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 bam. And I felt like such an idiot because I'd been sat there smiling along yeah. while they're doing it. So that that does exist as well. And I of think we've we got to say that. Yeah, you, you, you do have to say that. And you're working, you get anti-Semitic stuff. I'm not Jewish, but I look Jewish. Right? Yes. And uh, I get called a secret Jew. 
hang on did, oh you did a great stand-up about that actually. yeah i like that yeah that had me laughing yeah and that's <laughs> you know and that's you know, and look that we do need to acknowledge that i just i'm being i'm gonna be absolutely honest i don't feel banning it and pushing it underground so it can exist in platforms like 4chan which essentially is a cesspool for these types mm. of opinions it's much better that actually they're confronted they're challenged because you need to believe in redemption. You need to believe that these people can change their mind. People do think abhorrent things. People do think things that are awful. But if you're just going to push people and drive it underground, you're not going to solve the problem. You're just going to make it worse. Where they're going to sit in their own little forums and they're going to have their own little discussions and they're just going to end up radicalizing themselves. Yeah, that's what I actually I think exactly the same thing. And to go for it to an extreme point the pdf files we talked about before yeah. you know, i want to i'm writing a book about that before yeah. that reason because otherwise they just go and tell each other that yeah. they're gonna do it so so i think you do need to any topic needs to be spoken about you look jewish in the way that louis theroux looks jewish yeah. i suppose and he's not either yeah but that got him into trouble almost in the, that that neo-nazi episode did you ever yeah. see that when it was no like, oh you've got to watch that yeah they all going like you look like a jew yeah and he's going like well, I, and they're going, oh, well, well, are you are you Jew? Are you Jew? Are you a Jew in my house? And he's going, well, I, I don't think I should say, which yeah. really pisses them off. Then. Yeah, but he's but he's but he's not either. No, and it's it's it, but it's actually that's a very intelligent response because what he's actually saying is it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the reality is it doesn't matter. He did brilliantly. Yeah. That. It's such a great scene. And it made me, it actually changed me as a journalist. Because I, I, for a while, was making those kinds of documentaries. And it changed me. If someone had said to me and I was scared and they said, are you a, secretly a Muslim? Something like that. I would probably, well, I'm not, but you shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. And I, I saw that and I thought, oh, maybe I could be brave enough, yeah. maybe, to, to just go, I'm not going to say. But yeah. I mean, that's a very brave thing to do because the easier thing to do would be to tell the truth and say, no, I'm not but it doesn't matter or whatever else. Yeah. But just to say, he actually put himself in, in harm's way there. That's that's a really, really principled yeah. and strong thing to do. He's he, he got a lot of respect for that. He's just, he's everyone loves him, right? Yeah. He's, he's cool. I mean, apart from the neo-Nazis. Oh, yeah. But even they do a bit. That's his charm, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it they, is. They're a bit, oh, Louis. Those particular ones didn't. They kicked him out of the house. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the, the his... His superpower, and I think this is everyone's superpower actually, is he doesn't pretend. I mean, he plays the sort of bumbling English guy to a certain degree, but that is pretty much who Louis Theroux is. When you see him interviewed, that is Louis Theroux, mm. really. So, and that is Rogan's superpower as well. It's that ability to be yourself. And that's what people want. People want authenticity. People don't want what they used to have, which is fake personas. TV doesn't work because it's a fake persona on a fake stage talking about fake things in a fake way. It's done. It's over. Nobody wants that. Oh, look, the, the, you know, my parents' generation, your parents' generation, they've been raised on it. They will continue to consume that stuff until they die out and then it dies out. But for the rest of us, why would you? Mm. why would you it's completely synthetic and it just feels false and Hollywood in particular I've heard you talking about that I mean there's the Barbie film and, and yeah. you know what, what's your issue with Hollywood at the moment I guess my issue is with, with Hollywood is and this is from someone who loves cinema I love cinema I love theatre I love uh, novels and books and art and whatever else I just want to be told a story that is what 
we crave. That goes back to sitting around the campfire when we were ex existing in tribes and having someone tell you a story. It's why the Greek myths are so powerful and we will continue to read them until our civilization dies out, even though we know that they're not true, even though we know that they're, 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 they're it's fiction because it's a really powerful story which taps into something. But we don't get that anymore. Instead, I'm getting told what to think. Instead, I'm getting a lecture. Instead, I'm getting told what to th how to think about the world and what my politics should be. I'm not interested in that. I don't care. What, I will what make... examples of that sort of thing? I mean, Barbie was an example of it where, again, it was, you know, all the, all the... You just looked at Kens and all the Kens are really... You know, they're, you know, they're, they're, how can I put this with the Kens? They're all incompetent, stupid, inept, and all the women are just, you know, really far better than the men, far superior, far more competent, far more intelligent. And actually, the Barbie society, the women without the men works much better and I, I did a comedic monologue about this, where I actually said, like, I don't know, but I don't know about you, but have you ever have you ever worked in an office where it's all women? It's carnage. <laughs> it's absolute carnage. And even the women will say, yeah, we prefer working with the men, because if it's just women, it turns into an absolute bitch fest. <laughs> yeah, that but, wasn't in Barbie then. No, it wasn't in Barbie. Mm. It wasn't. It wasn't in Barbie where they'd see one of them like, man, she's looking a bit fat today. <laughs> I suppose they'd say, "Oh, well, this is just a bit of a satire, a bit of fun, or whatever." But I guess they could have they could have poked fun at that aspect as well, couldn't they? Because it's dishonest. Yeah. You you can. There's nothing wrong with, you know, looking at men and saying inept, whatever else. It's when it's disingenuous and when you know that you're being fed a message, and it constantly happens where the moment you politicise anything is the moment the joy just seeps out of it. It's, for instance, I was in Amsterdam recently and I saw this um, street performer. And before he started his act, he just went, you know, things are really bad in, in, in Holland because of this right-wing Dutch government. And I just thought, mate, <laughs> even street performers, yeah. shut up, light the swords, shove them up your ass, and I'll give you a fiver. Yeah. Why do I need to listen to your what your thoughts are on politics? The moment when you bring the politics into sport, I'm just going. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Last time oh, I went, I remember going to Tottenham. I hadn't been in a while. That's why I had that Harry Kane opinion, by the yeah. way, my own bias. But it wasn't last time I went. But it was about a year ago, and it happened to be Armistice Day or whatever, in November, yeah. whatever. So there are about five or different things before the match started. Yeah. Both left and right things, you know, fair enough, at least they got sort of a bit of both. Yeah. The right would be the poppies you have to wear for the army yeah. stuff, I suppose, and the left was LGBT, then they come on the pitch to do an LGBT. I'm, I'm here to watch football. Most people here are not anti this or that, they just don't care. Yeah. And they want to watch football. I'm amazed what they're shoving down our throat. I mean, and the poppy stuff as well, you've got Northern Irish players and Irish players who are going, why have I got to wear this? And then if they don't wear it, they they become, a, you know, screamed at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the famous example is, is a footballer I think it was James McLean wasn't yeah. it and he chose not to wear the poppy which is his right to do it and then all of a sudden he becomes a political pawn yeah. and before I was you know I was very supportive of the poppy and in sports 
and celebrating this. Uh, but now I've come to the position where I'm like, I don't want to see any of it. It's forced. Yeah, it's forced. I don't want to see any of it. I don't want to see the poppy. I don't want to see BLM. I want nothing of it. I want sport to be completely apolitical. I don't want them to take the knee. I don't want them to wear the poppy. I don't want them to talk about trans lives. I don't want any of it. Yeah. None of it. I want it completely free. Because it's empty, isn't it? Because yeah. the, the England team did that. And then when they were told that they would get a yellow card for what for putting a, a rainbow thing yeah. at the World Cup, they, they backed down straight away. Of course. And that's what Martin Luther King did. What? Yeah. <laughs> I won't have a yellow card. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it goes, what, what? A yellow card, mate? Sorry. Can't do it. Sorry, lads. I was all, I was all for emancipation of my race. But actually, yellow card, no. Backing down. Francis, where can we send people to, I mean, trigonometry, presumably? Yeah, you can search trigonometry, my social media, which is at Francis J. Foster on Instagram, Twitter, whatever else. Uh, trigonometry, where we interview some of the finest uh, minds uh, in the world. Um, also, as well, um, I do comedic monologues on there. You can check them out. We've got loads of stuff. It's also available as a podcast if you like it on the go. Thank you, Francis Foster, for coming on the podcast. What a pleasure it was to talk to him. He, was, he really made me laugh. I hope some of you guys laughed as well. I hope you weren't too upset or offended. I think that is a right. I don't want to be one of those guys like, oh, offended were you? I think, you know, it's, a, it's actually a fair enough thing to say. I listened to a thing and it offended me. I think that's okay. And if you're upset by it, I, I am sad about that. Um, but I don't think any of us has a right to not be offended. But I hope it was okay uh, for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it interesting and that you'll check out Trigonometry, Francis's brilliant podcast that he does with Constantin Kissen. And keep on listening to this podcast. Please do recommend it to people, recommend it to friends on social media and all these kinds of things, especially now that at least on YouTube and maybe in the future, it has this new branding of heretics. For now, you're still on On the Edge with Andrew Gold and I'll see you next time.